And in, in our age, the more we're trying to get people involved, we're pulling our best people out of their neighborhoods, out of their workplaces, out of their families even. If I'm so involved in the parish, I can't possibly disciple my kids. Mm, no. And and so we're pulling our best people out of the world, out of their personal apostolates in the secular world, which is our post as lay people, and we're plugging them into the parish out, separate from the world where they can't be a witness, where they can't be a light, where they're just busy volunteering. Then they get burned out, and then they leave the parish, and they and they and then they're separated from all formation and all possibility of training. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a vicious cycle uh, that's happening as long as we're clinging to involvement and clinging to Christendom. Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think laugh and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are power for impact. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Leadership Podcast. My name is Ron Huntley, and I will be your host. Thank you for listening on whatever podcast device you use and for watching on YouTube. We just really challenge you and encourage you to subscribe, to give a thumbs up. That really helps the algorithms. Please enter into the conversation, ask questions, make comments. I love hearing from you. Today, I'm thrilled to have with me Jason Simon. Jason Simon is the CEO of Evangelical Catholic. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you. This is great. I understand that you have a new project that's going to be launching being executed in Dallas in January. And I'd love for you to share with the listeners what you're doing, why you're doing it, so that we can unpack that. Yeah. Well, uh, our mission is typically to partner with parishes and campus ministries. We work with a few military bases, but uh, we sign a contract with the priest. Mm -hmm. And then the first thing we typically say to the priest is, all right, now give us a layperson in your community who we can coach. Because we want to launch ministries out into the community, uh, personal lay apostolates all over the place, small groups, uh, workplace evangelization, neighborhood evangelization. And uh, so we don't typically work a lot with the priest. We just hope that he trusts us, that he, he shares a heart with us for evangelization. And then we move on and start working with lay people in his community. Mm. Uh, but over the years, man, we've met awesome priests all over the country. Uh, and and have just started to have a, a desire in our spirits to get them all together right. because they're, they're, um, they're just such great leaders, uh, so full of the love of Jesus. They're, they're all different ecclesiologies, uh, but they're united in their passion for Jesus. They all have beautiful stories of conversion, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, they all are catching a glimpse for the fruitfulness that the church can have when it starts moving in a strong apostolic direction. Mm-hmm. They're all starting to see it. And, uh, and there's a lot of questions, and it's kind of a new frontier. What does it look mm-hmm. like when a parish actually, in a very strong way, shifts its emphasis from trying to attract people in to trying to send more people out. Right. And and that start, that starts to mess with equations. It starts to mess with resource allocation and starts to mess with the way you judge fruitfulness. And all these priests are wrestling with it. Uh, and Monsignor uh, James Shea uh, wrestled with it in the book. And I think, I think he collaborated on, on the book, but it's from Christendom to Apostolic Mission. 
And, um, and so we want to pull these priests together and, and continue the conversation that that book started and the conversation that is kind of bubbling up with all these priests so that they can, they can talk with each other. We can give them some, some substance, some framework to think about this uh, through, and um, I'm really excited. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. And I often, in the work that I do, and speaking that I do, I'll often hear about evangelical Catholic and people that are engaged and are excited and cool things that are happening. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing, uh, you and Thank your you. team, to invest in the church. It's awesome. I'd love yeah. to, as we continue Bless to you. unpack that, um, well, actually, no, let me go this way first. And so, you know, in our pre-conversation, what you shared with me, some of the principles that you're going to unpack, not all of them in that book, but some of the ones that you thought, hey, you know what, this might be a great, great focus for our conference to help crack open some of those conversations. And I just thought, oh, wow, that'd be a kind of a nice little taster uh, for some of the people yeah. that are thinking, oh, a conference, should I go? Shouldn't I go? I'd love you to hear some of this because as soon as you started talking about it, I just thought, wow. That's going to yeah. be fun. Yeah. Well, uh, there's a chapter in the book that we thought was particularly pertinent for uh, priests. Uh, it's called um, Forming uh, Pastoral Strategies in an, in an Apostolic Age. And um, I'm, I'm looking over here because I have, uh, <laughs> Bring up I the, have the points. But I want to uh, – the, the ones I remember, there Take are the eight of them, yep. and they're they're really good, and they point toward – they point toward priests um, and the leadership of priests in particular, also bishops. Um, but the first one that he talks about is, is really good. It's um, forming an apostolic attitude, yes. <laughs> which, which is key. And so uh, leaving behind the attitude of Christendom that I think a lot of good priests have left behind a long time ago, which is thinking that people are just going to come back, thinking that, the church is still relevant. Uh, they thinking that people still think the church is relevant to their daily life. Mm. You know, we, we know the church is relevant. It's ever new. It's ever, ever helpful. Uh, Jesus is always in the church. And so, um, it, it never gets old, but people in, in our culture no longer think of the church as a place mm. to come for their existential struggles, for their meaning, um, that that's just not where they turn, mm. and so th in in Christendom it was where they turned. It, you know, we had we had basketball clubs, we had all uh, you know, Knights of Columbus was thriving. All the structures were taken care of. We were building churches, we were building schools. Mm. You know, er everything was kind of humming. Kids who grew up in Catholic families stayed Catholic when they got older, mm -hmm. and we all know that we're in a different age where where the kids aren't staying Catholic, even really good families, really good parents who, who have uh, modeled the love for Jesus. They, they are so confused because, you know, seven out of their eight kids aren't following Jesus anymore. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and so in our neighborhoods, people aren't looking to the church anymore. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to just come to church randomly. And that's, that's the old Christendom attitude. The apostolic attitude acknowledges that that's not not going to happen and also feels a burden uh there uh, just like jesus when he looks upon the crowds his his guts twist with mm -hmm. compassion right the apostolic attitude is to look upon the neighborhoods to look upon the businesses to look upon the families and have your guts twist because you know if you don't go to them you're not going to reach them mm -hmm. they're not going to just come and so the apostolic attitude knows that Jesus is the answer to every existential 
problem that people in in their community has there's an urgency in their guts to go and and so th- they're asking the question how can i go um how can i go more effectively i i'm only one priest how can i go yes. and so the apostolic attitude is also that i need to form and equip laity to go so mm-hmm. that's the, that's just the first one that he unpacks in the book that we want to unpack together um, I want to I want to gather priests who already kind of have that inkling, but to form it in a more solid way, mm. so that it drives everything about what they're doing in their leadership. Jason, it's such an important conversation, and and thanks for bringing it up. And and I know again you're 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 lifting it from the book that you read that's influenced you, and I just think it's wonderful when people are inspired by that and be, and continue the conversation because the truth is, um, the training that people get is still for Chrysostom. Right, it's still mm-hmm. it's still for Chrysostom, and 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 that's not to 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 look down on the seminary seminaries, not at all. Like people, a lot of people really appreciate and love and enjoy that amazing theological training and background. It's wonderful. It really is a a separator mm-hmm. in so many ways, um, and yet we know there's more, and it's hard to find mm-hmm. time to think about more when people get into the parish and there's this whirlwind of ministry and expectations from every possible angle to continue to do what we've always done. And to be honest with you, just doing liturgy is exhausting. It takes tons Mm. and tons of teams Mm. of people and schedules and volunteers and and details Mm. just to simply do liturgy. And so for so many, Mm. it's exhausting. And what you're saying is, yes, and, <laughs> yes, and there's more. And and that more mm-hmm. isn't going to happen by itself. It's going to require a change in attitude, a change in perspective, a recognition and ownership mm-hmm. that many have, but aren't sure where to go next. And it sounds like yeah. that's the conversation you want to have is what next could look like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the attitude of Christendom, like you said, is to increase involvement in the church mm-hmm. and and you know we we want to get more people involved when, when i was working at a parish uh it was very common at a staff meeting to ask the question how can we get more people involved mm-hmm. and and that's not an apostolic attitude that's a christendom attitude Neat. that's like we have all these people at mass and we want to we want to get them involved in the community want to get them involved in the in the machinations of the church and and because then the church is stronger and then more people will come but in an age where people aren't coming anymore and more and more people are falling away that's not the answer and so we we kind of coined this this uh this phrase the heresy of involvement because as long as you're looking to involvement as as salvation you know like this is the way people will grow in discipleship this is the way people's faith will be solidified this is how we'll we'll have a more vibrant parish through involvement. It's a heresy. It doesn't bring about conversion. Mm-hmm. It doesn't bring about discipleship. No one's ever gotten involved and and gone from from A to Z in their discipleship by mere involvement. At some point, somebody hears the gospel. At some point, somebody goes to confession. At some point, somebody apprentices that person into the deep practices of holiness and discipleship it has to happen and in 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 our age the more we're trying to get people involved we're pulling our best people out of their neighborhoods out of their workplaces out of their families even if i'm so involved in the parish 
I can't possibly disciple my kids. Mm, and, wow. and so we're pulling our best people out of the world, out of their personal apostolates in the secular world, which is our post as lay people. And we're plugging them into the parish out, separate from the world where they can't be a witness, where they can't be a light, where they're just busy volunteering. Then they get burned out and then they leave the parish and they and they and then they're separated from all formation and all possibility of training. Mm-hmm. So it's a, it's a vicious cycle uh, that's happening as long as we're clinging to involvement and clinging to Christendom. Wow, that's those are some powerful words. That's a great paradigm shift. I really appreciate mm-hmm. you cracking that open. As you're even as you're talking about it, I can't help but think that's not that's exactly what often happens at the diocesan level. You know, mm-hmm. bishops pull their best priests. Their churches are dying all over the place. They take the yeah, best yeah, opportunities right. to get a parish that could be fruitful, and they burden them with diocesan involvement and and really reduce any likelihood of that pastor having any energy left or capacity or time in the day to bring about the change that, that could happen at a parish level. And And so it sounds like the same principles could apply. How do we mobilize people to have the biggest impact versus how do we take our best people and help them serve my needs or our needs, even though they're not getting results? Yeah, that, that's, the, that's the tension right now uh, between the institutions and the structures that, that we have as an inheritance from a time of Christendom okay. and the urgent apostolic uh, needs uh, for the church to be relevant to make an impact in the world, we do. We are living attention, and it takes great discernment. And I, I do not uh, envy bishops for having to to make those decisions, I know. because uh, because the the structures have to be taken care of in in the right way. They make the church strong. They support us all as laity. They support the parishes, and you need we need sharp people in those structures. But yes. you're right. Sometimes we mistake apostolic fruitfulness and dynamism and innovation for, uh, for uh, you know, in, in the, the priest that can pull that off, th- that priest can probably pull a lot of things off. And so now all of a sudden he's vicar general and he's not, he's not launching lay people into the world anymore. We've, we've sacrificed that apostolic outreach for the internal workings of the church, which may, may be the right move. Uh, but I think a lot of times the, the, we don't have an apostolic calculus in making those decisions. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I even see that in, in organizations. I've, I've seen, I've, I've hired a lot of lay staff members who, who have been at parishes, very fruitful in parishes. Mm. We've, we've been coaching them. And then they say, you know what? The parish can't pay me a living wage, uh, but the diocese can. I'm going to go to the diocese. Mm-hmm. And, and, I just feel like, man, I, I got to find a way to keep this person engaged apostolically. And, yes. and so, so um, you know, it's it's a hard, there is a pull into the diocese for a lot of reasons that, yeah. that I think, um, I think needs to be discerned and mm-hmm. having an apostolic uh, priority. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a bit like the church's preferential option for the poor. You know, it should, because, and an apostolic church is a church for the poor, is a yes. church for the lonely, is a church for the outcast, is a church for the the forgotten, and so um, so we need we kind of need a 
a preferential option for the apostolic <laughs> when we're making these these decisions. Amen. I always think too, and I, I remember doing some work with a large diocese in the U.S. And as you know, with the people that I was able to to work with in that in that situation, I was just asking them to get involved at the local parish. Like, don't make their diocesan work their only work because it's their work make, bringing their parish alive that's going to make their role in the diocese actually useful because if not you're going to be too detached you're just going to have a lot of opinions and perspectives but you're not going to have the context and that to me yeah. is a tragedy and so having one foot in the parish that you're really committed to and i think that makes you useful in these other areas now i'm not saying for anybody that's not doing that you're not useful i'm yeah. not saying that but i think you're far more useful and and even in the coaching that I do with within diocese, the teams that do the coaching, I say, get involved in your local parish as yeah. well as helping to support other parishes. Like, because it's that local parish context that's going to give you the framework and grow your usefulness in, in yeah. the information, yeah. your ideas, yeah. Right, and I would even take it a step further. Uh, you mentioned seminarian formation earlier, mm -hmm. and I would say that, um, well, Father Michael Sweeney, uh, who's a Dominican who helped start the Catherine of Siena Institute, really a great thinker, has a great heart for an apostolic church. One of the things he said uh, in a number of places is the church lacks an imagination for lay agency. Uh, the church doesn't really know what it looks like for a lay person on fire with the Lord and uh, pursuing holiness in a diligent way uh, as John Paul II said, uh, um, the true apostle is always on the lookout for opportunities to share the good news. Uh, the church doesn't really know what it looks like for a lay person to live that in a law firm or to live that in their neighborhood. And, and the church hasn't really seen a broad witness of actually the, the how efficacious it is, how fruitful it is that the promise of Matthew 16 to Peter that the gates of hell will not prevail against you apply mm -hmm. equally to the Pope, to the bishops, to the priests, and to the lay people whose post is in the world. It's a promise yeah. to the church uh, and, and to apostles everywhere, whether they're lay or ordained. But the church hasn't seen uh, really uh, a broadly lived out victorious lay spirituality. And so, therefore, we have seen awesome priests. We have seen awesome bishops. We have the St. John Vianney's historically you know, and we have broad witnesses to a powerful uh, clerical um, apostolic identity, you know, but we, yes. we don't have powerful, broad models of lay agency. And mm -hmm. so I think with seminarian formation, one of the one of the things we started to talk to directors of, of diocesan vocations on is is it would be so awesome to form and train seminarians before they're ordained to engage lay apostolates in the world um, equipped with uh with, equipped with the ability to share the curriculum to share their testimony to apprentice and walk with and disciple people uh closer to jesus if they experience that in a volleyball club if they experience that in a secular job if they experience that um at a food pantry in the secular world not as a cleric as a yes. lay person then when they become a priest, they would have an imagination for lay agency. They would, oh. they would have a heart. They would, they would know what 
they're forming lay people into uh, how tricky it is to share the gospel in the world with your neighbor who's gay right or co- cohabitating uh, you know mm-hmm. stuck in 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 a certain milieu that doesn't fit our clean pastoral boxes how does a lay person walk with someone out of that with compassion but with also conviction and in riding the line between those things so that the relationship doesn't dissolve before Jesus has a chance to take root in somebody's life. That's tricky. <laughs> and and priests don't know how to form it because they've never experienced it. They, they right. have no imagination for what it looks like. So mm. um, so you said a diocesan worker needs, needs parish work. So they know how real the pastoral needs are. And I agree. I totally agree. But I would say a parish worker, a priest or a lay, they have to experience uh, the secular vocation at some point so mm-hmm. that they know how to form and train people into it. And, and our problem in an age of Christendom is that yes. we really haven't experienced that. We've experienced parish programs. We've experienced mini series. We've experienced video series. We've experienced mm-hmm. religious ed classes. And so we know we have an imagination for all of that, but we mm-hmm. don't have an imagination for the gritty work in the streets. And, and that's, that's where we need to move as a church, uh, all, all across the board. Our pastor, Father Simon Lobo at St. Benedict Parish, plays soccer, him and uh, Father Alex. And that is a secular place. <laughs> they yeah. go up to the local yeah. soccer place and they play with all kinds of people from, you know, and they talk about their experience from time to time when it's appropriate, where conversations of faith come up and invitations come up and what that looks like and feels like and tastes like they're literally in the world. Not only are they literally in the world doing it, but then they give testimony to it to to us when we go to church on Sunday. And so they're modeling the very principles that you're talking about. Yeah. And I just think it's so cool because they do know how difficult it is and they know because that's where they spend some of their time very intentionally so that yeah. they don't get out of touch. And it's probably why Jesus spoke to the crowd so much, you know, and, and I mean, he, 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 he did spend most of his time with the 12. He did form and train them in thick ways. He sent them off two by two. He processed their experience of mission, but he also did his own mission. And he also, he was in touch with the people and understood the needs and the hurt of the people. So he did, Jesus did have a strong imagination for the mission that he needed to form his disciples to do. And and it's it's really the perfect model. Uh, And I love what what your priests are doing. It's perfect because they're, they're not only engaged with, uh, you know, what I was, what I'm encouraging uh, DAS and vocation directors to do is to integrate this into seminary formation, but it can't stop there, you know, because right. in 10 years, you'll lose track with what the most pressing issues are. I mean, the, the way the, the digital world is working now and the battles that I'm fighting as a parent with my teenage kids, totally different than 10 years ago. And, and so it, you just quickly lose sight of, of how to uh, relate to, to a, a generation if you don't stay in the milieu. So I love that. I love that your priests do that. That's awesome. Remember years ago, I, Alpha locally here in Atlantic Canada had invited some church leaders to get together, kind of for a retreat, really, not necessarily focusing on anything involving Alpha specifically, but just to be a blessing and, and, and to breathe into these leaders. And so there are people from different traditions and backgrounds, and and uh, there were some mixers, and I 
got to spend some time with this gentleman and as I got to know him found out that he's a, a, a bishop in an Anglican church and and he asked me a question and I thought it was amazing he said do you know why I still after all these years am am, am, am so heavily involved in in Alpha I'm like no why and then he just listed all the problems that he faces as a bishop in that geography and that tradition and all the issues and problems he faces and he said it's enough to to crush your faith it's enough to to crush your spirit and he said but when i get to do alpha every time i do it i get to sit with people who don't know jesus and watch that transformation of them coming to the love of the father and seeing what that does to them and in them and it's the very fuel that allows me to continue to do my work as a bishop i just remember being at awe you know, because it's not uncommon for people as they grow in, in areas of influence and responsibility to draw so far away from the reason we do what we do that they forget. And and that's why oftentimes, you know, I say to priests, like, keep doing alpha, man. Like, take off your collar, put on your jeans and, and, a, and a, your flannel shirt and, yeah. and go, sit, go sit down and have conversations with people without using church language. Because uh, to stay in touch... Yeah. So I, I, yeah, love your, love what you're talking about here. <laughs> it's so cool. One of the other things that you mentioned, and I just want to bring it up and get some thought on it, because I, I would say it's not easy. Although none of this stuff is easy if we're honest with ourselves. But you talked about evaluating fruitfulness. That was a term you used in, in a conversation we had, and I just thought well, let's talk a little bit about that because that can be hard. In fact, that makes a lot of people uncomfortable. Shouldn't we just be? Shouldn't we just be holy and pray and be faithful and let? let everything else like just why why should we focus on evaluating on measuring what are your thoughts yeah well i think again in the previous paradigms we we evaluate vibrancy and fruitfulness by the numbers of people and the numbers of programs on our on our church grounds mm -hmm. simplistically uh and and i think that that metric for fruitfulness discounts the, the absolutely crucial, crucial activity that has to be happening in the world. Mm. And, and it almost gives, it almost gives laity an out because they feel like, right. uh, they feel like they're doing their, their duty by serving mm -hmm. the church in this way. Uh, even though they're not being intentional in, in, discipling their kids into strong Christian faith mm -hmm. because they don't know how or because they don't have time, uh, even though they're not, uh, they're not taking steps to reach out to their coworkers or their neighbors. And, um, and so people are not formed for personal apostolates in the world. And, and the, the church isn't always looking in that direction because right. we're so used to judging and evaluating fruitfulness based on, you know, the offertory, the October counts, the number of people coming and and we're not used to judging fruitfulness by how many people we've formed and sent this year into the community to be living witnesses and disciple makers in the community. That is the Great Commission. And yet our metrics for fruitfulness don't often don't account for it. If you go and ask almost any pastor in this country or in mm -hmm. Canada, you know, how many people did you form and train specifically 
for a personal lay apostolate of disciple making in the world last year. They couldn't tell you. They could tell how many people came to their festival, how many committees they have, how many programs they're running, how many staff they have, what their operatory was. You know, all these measures are Christendom. And yet we've moved into an apostolic stage where it's, in, in, it's, it's imperative that we're launching lay people into the community. So I think that's, that's uh, some of it. Now, I, I also think that the first step is to form and train lay people. Um, the second step you know, if you think if you and I get formed and trained, let's say you and I are uh, in a in a, a group together where we we come alive and and love for Jesus, we pray for each other, we hold each other accountable to prayer every day, we start learning how to share the gospel, we learn how to share our testimony, we learn how to ask good questions of our neighbors, we learn maybe how to facilitate a small group at our home where we can invite neighbors and have a a welcoming. Uh, joyful conversation with people that might draw them into the gospel. Let's say you and I learn all that, yep. which is beautiful. But then you and I go do it, and and we encounter the the struggle of apostolic life, the the travail of apostolic life, and it hits us over the head. If you and I don't stay in community, and if the parish doesn't keep supporting me, we're going to give up. We're going to be like, well, this. This is horrible. I don't know why I ever thought I could do this. I am so inadequate, you know, and, and we'll, either, we'll either blame ourselves and despair about our mission, or if it goes yes. really well, it might be worse because we'll take credit for it, you know, <laughs> and so and start being inflated in pride. And there's so many pitfalls of apostolic ministry. So the first step for a parish to do is to form and train people for this work. And the second step is to support them with with mission community somewhere they've got to keep coming together in community to pray together and support each other and you and i could encourage each other in our work and then the third thing that i think a parish can do and usually they want to fast forward to this step but the third thing is to unite lay people in a vision of outreach for the community you know that's a parish loves that you know they usually fast forward to that step they've got to do the first two first then they can launch a robust, unified, exciting apostolate to the community, whether it be small groups or alpha or, or um, you know, a, a movement of, of social outreach and change in the community that they're doing together or pro-life cause or some, some kind of witness to the community. If, if that's full of people who are prayerful and zealous for the Lord and are on the lookout for someone to share the gospel with, someone to love, with Jesus' love, then it's going to be super fruitful. So I think those three, those three stages, those three phases, if a parish goes through that, then they will see great fruit. Then, then we'll be judging fruitfulness by the metric that Jesus uses, which is, did you love the least of these? The forgotten, you know, the people on the fringes in the community, did you get to them? And, and, or were you too build, busy building up your fiefdom you know, on the church property and feeling good about yourselves while the lost were forgotten. Um, and so I, I think that's that's a progression that we work with our ministries, that we want to work with uh, the priests at this conference to, to think about shepherding people through that progression so we can launch something that pleases the heart of Jesus in the community as a parish. I breathe that all in. That is... That's awesome. Like, as you speak, there's just such conviction 
as you speak vision, but do it through a language of steps and processes. Like it just so, so, so cool, Jason. Where did, let me ask you, where did, where did you first encounter faith? What's your story of encounter with Christ? Like, what does that look like? Well, I grew up in a, in a really beautiful Protestant home, uh, beautiful, um, serious disciples as parents. Uh, my grandparents uh, were from the Dakotas, and, uh, and they had been evangelized by the, the tent revivals from the um, early, early 20th century that kind of swept across the land from Azusa Street. Uh, my, my grandparents were swept up in that, in that movement of evangelization and um, experienced miraculous healings and just completely gave their their lives to Jesus and then raised my parents to love Jesus in that um, in that really um, exciting zealous Christian milieu. I mean, they would go to church every night. <laughs> you know, like they wanted more of Jesus every night. They were going to church. It, you know, it'd be in the summers, especially at these tent revivals. And um, so my parents definitely lived that. I grew up seeing my dad on his knees in the morning praying and my mom always talking to me about Jesus in beautiful ways. Um, at a certain point, it, it did become boring to me. I was a, I was an angst, angsty kid and, um, and the darkness always called to me, the thrill of darkness. And, um, and so I did run into the darkness for a few years, but I never forgot about Jesus. Even when I was there, I was, I was reading my Bible and trying to stay in touch with the light. Uh, but I was, I was bound up with, um, the darkness that I had flirted with. And I, I couldn't actually get myself out, even though I was trying until, um, a man, um, I, that I had met at church the previous Sunday. Um, I was running on a running path and he called out to me and um, he remembered me from having, having met, uh, actually it wasn't the previous Sunday, it was a couple months before, but he remembered me, called out to me and then asked to buy me lunch the next day. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've been going to church, but it, it, church was not enough to pull me out of that darkness. Yes. I just, I was, I was too wrapped up in it. Um, but this guy bought me lunch started walking me through how to pray, started walking me um, out of darkness, holding me accountable, praying for me, giving me scriptures to memorize. Uh, and and he, he walked me right out of that darkness into the light of Jesus, into just a, a joyful, um, joyful, thrilling relationship with Jesus. And then he started training me for mission. So he, he just did the whole thing. He did the whole disciple-making thing with me outside of the structures of the church. And right. if he hadn't, I'd still be stuck, I think, or I would have lost my faith by now. Uh, he, you know, he was bold enough to call out to me while I was running by on a running path. He was bold enough to ask me questions and get to know me, bold enough to buy me lunch for two years straight. <laughs> you know, it, I mean, it changed my life. And so, um, so that really... Then when I met the mission of the Evangelical Catholic, I, I didn't found it. Um, the founder was one of my mentors. Uh, and when he explained this organization he was starting in the Catholic Church, um, I was still Protestant, uh, mm-hmm. but I just loved it. I loved it because it was equipping more people like the guy who impacted my life to go into the world and reach out to people like me. 
So, um, so when they asked me to take over for the founder, I was, I was thrilled, thrilled to do so. So that's a little bit about my story. Wow. That, uh, thanks for sharing that, Jason. It's so beautiful to see. That's where your conviction comes from, because you're a convicted person. I remember the first time we met was actually in, in Texas and sitting down with you and just having a conversation and, and your conviction, you exude conviction. And when I hear your story and see what you do, why you do it, how you do it, I just see this perfect alignment in the work that God's done in your life, even through that season of darkness, just really giving you a taste of of the damage that can be done when, when he's not first in your life. And, and yeah. then pulling you out of that with this guy, only preparing you for the very thing he had prepared for you. It's just beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing, and and you know it takes a it takes a while to to put the pieces together. Um, after after uh, after that man discipled me, I went on to lead a lot of small groups on campus, and so you go through this stage where you think that you know campus ministry is the place, and small groups are the thing, and but then you keep stepping back and you keep asking questions. Well, what does the world really need? You know, yes, small groups are powerful, but what the world needs is holy people in the world who can who can do for others what this man, his name was Chip, what Chip did for me. We need more lay people in the world to do that because he didn't reach me through a small group. He, he reached me through one-on-one. Um, mm -hmm. And it'll happen differently for everybody. So if you have holy people yes. in the world listening to the Holy Spirit, they're going to figure out how to how to rescue people. They can figure out how to, how to draw people into the joy of Jesus in the right way at the right time. And so that's really well, what the world needs. And what a beautiful order that is. It's so it's not, you know, attach yourself to a good program and run with it. It's like, no, come to Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can walk with the Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit's going to give you tools and you'll know when and how to use them. But it's not about the program. It's about God. <laughs> yes. Yes. You know, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what you're saying. Let's bring people to that. Yes. And yes. then the tools can be used appropriately versus become the thing. Because oftentimes yeah. our I would even suggest sometimes our fear of the Holy Spirit, writing a book right now, and we just finished a chapter on that, is our collective fear of the Holy Spirit prevents us from coming in any way that's that's trusting that leads to surrender. And as a result, if we're in leadership, we're not going to take anybody there. Yeah. And it's like, boy, if we could, if we could address that elephant in the room and, and, and learn to grow and trust and invite the Holy Spirit to be a, an important part of our lives, boy, that changes everything. It gives us far more wisdom, far more boldness, yeah. far more discernment. And then these tools can come to life. Yeah, I think having the best tool that any apostolic person can have in their toolbox is when we run up against the end of our competence. You know, St. Paul says we are not competent in of ourselves to do anything of ourselves. Our competence comes from God. And, and so we will inevitably in any apostolic endeavor run up against our incompetence. We'll run out of words. We'll run out of energy. You know, it's going to happen. And the, the most powerful tool we have in our toolbox is to, with all of our guts, pray, come Holy Spirit. <laughs> oh. You know, because 
he fills that space of incompetence with power and and he bears fruit you know he he's always fruitful he's always creative and uh and he's always there he's our advocate he's he's always there it's better jesus says it's better that i go away because i'll send you my holy spirit and so that so many times i've run against run up against my limitations and uh come holy spirit is never never um not uh brought me new strength and new ideas and new words for for mm. the situation i'm in i remember years ago in helping other churches do alpha and, and oftentimes we'd say the people that until you've run alpha four times and start getting people to be coming in who actually don't go to your church or don't go to church at all hopefully mm -hmm. it's not until you get a certain percentage of those people in each and every se season of alpha that you actually start running alpha because if not you're just putting the same people through your alpha and so it's not until you exhaust that stuff and you start becoming invitational that you start really doing alpha and i would suggest perhaps even as one of the things that comes to me as we're talking about this in your leadership until you exhaust what you think you're good at your knowledge and everything else until you exceed your competency you're not leading in faith yet like you're going to if you're if you're going to go somewhere significant you're going to exceed your competence and you're going to have to live by the power of the holy spirit in faith and that is both exciting and scary but boy you feel fully alive and i love helping people come to that place and stay in that place yes it's messy but boy there is no life like it because that's where real impact takes place is when we're yeah. walking in faith by the power of the holy spirit yes completely dependent on god uh that's when we're poor in spirit that that's where that's where all the promises come. That's, you know, that's, that's God stripping Gideon's army down. You know, just when, when you come to that place where you've been stripped and all of your wealth that you trust in has fallen away, you know, your wealth of words, your wealth of time, yes. your wealth of charisms, your, your wealth of parish facilities, you know, when, whenever all that stuff is stripped away, and you're you're sitting there with with an army that doesn't even compare to the thousands sitting in front of you. <laughs> right. That's when that's when the Holy Spirit just loves to show up. And you're right. And that is the thrill too. I I think a reason I got bored and I eventually went and flirted with darkness was I just I didn't have enough mission in my life. You know, I, I needed mission. I needed mission. I needed somebody to to th show me how I could walk the edge that I wanted to walk and experience yeah. the adrenaline that I wanted to experience in the Holy Spirit on mission. And if I had that, I may not have, I may not have gone the route I did because uh, since I've been living missionally, I've never been bored. There's always a new <laughs> frontier, you know, there's always, it's, not the it's thrilling. Yeah. Cause it, the Holy Spirit is, is alive in people that are, putting out to the deep well and even as you're saying this like I, I hope that people listening and it's i'm sure it's so obvious like you have an apostolic zeal and I, if i think about apest vocational assessment like you are definitely you're one of your top two is apostolic and that's the thing with when you have apostolic people who have capacity and passion or in love with jesus 
don't underutilize them. Like, that's a terrible idea. Next thing you know, they're going to be taking all that energy and helping their local football team win championships. And there's nothing right. wrong with that. But yeah. it's like, we're not giving them, you know, say, hey, could you read uh, once every six weeks, perhaps? Yeah. It's like, of course I can. Like, I went to university. Of course I can read. But that's not tapping into that person's power and zeal and, and call. It's like, could could we make that happen? Could we set that free? Because that's and again, that's where churches have a disproportionate impact is when we're, we're when we're recognizing people who have those gifts, skills and strengths and we're 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 challenging them way beyond their capacity to do something to glorify God. It's like now you're talking. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and that, as you said earlier, that's a risk. And, and that. Yeah, because you're. You got to create space for that person to go take new land, and and you, you don't know how they're going to do it. You know, you don't know. You can't control all of that. You you can't. There's just so many unknowns in doing that. And you know, I I don't think I don't think the apostles knew what was going to happen with Saint Paul. You know, we're uh, we're reading the Book of Galatians right now, and you know. Paul's making messes all over the place. <laughs> he's calling out Peter and he's going to visit the apostles and he's challenging the boundaries. And, you know, yeah. this is what apostolic activity does. And, and, um, and that's why Pope Francis keeps saying, like, I want a mess. It's going to be messy. Yes. I want a mess. And mm-hmm. I think what you're saying is so true to unleash apostolic people. Uh, that, that, that's scary and messy uh, when you want the clean lines of Christendom. Amen. Amen. Jason, what an invigorating conversation. I'm glad we didn't do this podcast at night because I wouldn't sleep because I'm so (laughs) thrilled and engaged in in, in what you've just shared. I really appreciate you, brother. I really do. Listen, I would love our listeners who I think they got a real strong taste of of who you are and what you do. How do they connect? If they're thinking, man, I got to follow this guy. I want to I want to be doing what he's doing. How do they connect? If they go to our website, uh, evangelicalcatholic.org, there there are lots of buttons on there to connect. You can get part of, you can get into our communication stream and receive our updates. We do a a quarterly newsletter that just shares uh, stories of personal apostolates in the world uh, that are happening uh, in the ministries that we work with. Uh, It's very it's very encouraging and exciting to read about lay people who are just doing gritty evangelization in the world outside of the structures so you can get part of our communication stream get that get that kind of communication or um, if if you're a ministry leader or priest you can talk with one of our staff about potential partnerships Uh, if you are a priest please come to our event it's uh, you can find that at our website too under events uh, priest for an apostolic age so that that's really the best place to connect i wonderful Uh, listen Keep up the great work. I'm really excited. I, we'll have to connect after that conference, and, and I want to hear some really exciting, cool stories because be awesome. the work you're doing, the the way you're leading, like, boy, there's no mistake, and this is where we're at in, in this point in history. And and you're on the front line of, of really helping unpack that to give people language for it, encouragement, and support in it. And so, Jason, thank you. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Ron. This has been so fun to talk with you. Yes. God bless. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. 
see you next time. And remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.